Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, as always, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 119. This is going to be part four of our 10-part series, Questions from God. This is a series of sermons that I delivered when I was in Summersville, West Virginia at a camp meeting there this summer, and I had a great time with a lot of really great people there. As a matter of fact, the teens that you hear shouting out Voices in My Head at the beginning of the podcast were a group of teens that I had a chance to work with there. So we're just going to continue with those messages today just before I bring you today's uh, sermon part four of questions from God I do want to remind you that we do have a funding campaign going on right now for my next album at gofundme.com slash hymns uh, this is a hymns project that I'm going to be working on you can go there and find out all the information about it I'm pleased to say that uh, in just a little over a week I guess we're almost at two weeks now at this point um, we've been able to raise uh, well over a thousand dollars still going uh, but we do need your help because our goal is thirty thousand dollars right now uh, we're planning on going to nashville we've got an incredible dove award winning producer craig adams that's working with us we're wanting to make a documentary an album and a songbook to go along with these things that can serve the local church now to let you know uh, we can make this album for like ten thousand dollars but it's going to be way um, less of an album than what we want it to be we want it to be the documentary we want it to be the songbook. We want to bring in um, an external group of people to become the congregation to give it sort of a live feel on the project and we want this to be ready for natu- national distribution. So uh, if you can help us out in any way, we're doing the $5 challenge. You can go to youtube.com slash James and see lots of videos on there. And we're giving you lots of great rewards for being a part of it as well. And you can, for free, uh, anytime you want, go over to that YouTube page I just mentioned and uh, listen to videos that I'm putting up all the time of different hymns. These are hymns that uh, we're still narrowing down that may or may not end up on the album when we actually record it. Uh, but it's usually me with a guitar or me sitting at the piano playing some arrangements of hymns that I've come up with and uh, I hope you'll enjoy those and uh, I hope you'll use those to help spread the word about the project you can fund us at gofundme.com slash hymns so if you can remember that that would be great well without any further hesitation we're going to go into today's sermon which is questions from God part four thank you for listening to voices in my head and we'll talk to you soon God bless I had kind of a, a funny and, and unique thing happen today. Went out with uh, several of the, the leaders uh, for, for this service uh, to lunch today at Shoney's. And uh, in the middle of lunch, this sweet little old lady came walking up to me. And, and she was very polite and she waited until we were kind of at a, a break point in our conversation and she tapped me on the shoulder. Now, I was wearing a t-shirt that my wife gave me for a present recently and it said, uh, my wife thinks I'm awesome. That's what my shirt said. I kind of missed my wife and my son today, so I thought, hey, I'm going to wear the t-shirt and, that she gave me. And I usually get nice comments on it. Well, this sweet little old lady kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, and 
I said, yes, what can I do for you? And she said, is your wife blind or blonde? And I didn't know if she was attacking me or my wife, you know, at that point. But we actually had a really good laugh about that today. So um, my wife thinks I'm awesome. I don't know. I'm, and she's not blonde, so I guess she's blind. But anyway, it was just kind of a funny story I thought I'd share with you tonight. It has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to share, but it was, it was too good to pass up. Well, this morning with the teens, we looked at the story of Cain and Abel, which I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. And we looked again at some more questions that God is asking. And we're going to continue with that theme tonight of questions God is asking. Last night I told you that as humans, we are just filled with questions. And we're going to hear an example of that tonight, of a story of a person that was questioning Jesus. But I find it so intriguing that God questions us. Because He wants us to learn something about ourselves, I believe. And He wants us to learn something about Him. And that just seems to be the way that God seems to do it. Well, in the scripture that the teens looked at, that I looked at with the teens this morning of Cain and Abel, God asked the question to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Where is your brother? What have you done? After he had killed his brother. To me, it seems that the Cain and Abel story is ultimately a story about worship. It's a story about being properly formed in worship. Do we only worship for what we get out of it? Because Abel's offering was regarded by God, but Cain's wasn't so much. But there's no reason that it wasn't. It was just God chose that he liked one better than the other for some reason. Apparently, Abel got a little more out of worship that day than Cain did. Abel was a little more touted up with good feelings than Cain was that day as he left worship? Do we only worship for what we get out of it? If we don't feel that special touch from God that someone else did, should we give up? Should we get jealous? Should we get angry? God was pleased by Abel's worship, and I'm sure that made Abel feel good, but God was not so pleased with Cain's worship, as I said. And worship can't be driven for us by what we get out of it. It must be driven by what we are giving to God. Did you know worship is not about me and you? It's about giving to God in spite of what we get out of it. If He is displeased with what we are bringing to worship, then something must change. It's not explicit in Genesis why one offering was regarded by God and one was not. But we should know that if God is not enjoying our worship, then we need to examine our worship. If we feel that something is not pleasing to Him, and God goes on to give the warnings to Cain, reminding him that if you do well, things will be well with you, Cain. But beware, sin is waiting for you at the door. And God was encouraging him, challenging him. Sin wants to master you, but you must master it. Just as man was to master creation... He was to also master his sin. But Cain was jealous of the God-pleasing way that his brother Abel worshipped. So jealous that he killed him. It was the first worship war that we have recorded in Scripture. And God asked Cain after he murdered his brother, Where is your brother? What have you done? 
Cain made the choice to be formed by jealousy instead of heeding the Lord's warning to master his sin. Because of this, Cain allowed sin to pounce all over him. So I want us to keep the questions in mind that the Lord asked Cain this evening. Where is your brother? What have you done? Because it leads into the gospel passage that we're actually going to be looking at tonight. But think about those things God is asking Cain, because I wonder if God is asking us the same thing. You can think about it in worship and the so-called worship wars. You can think about it in daily life. You can think about it in relationships. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Or a better way to say that, why are you disappointed? What have you done? Where is your brother? Tonight we're going to be uh, continuing while we have those thoughts in our heads. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10 says this. Well, we just, uh, this may be a, something more for the traditional service, I don't know. But can we stand for the reading of the word tonight? Is that contemporary? I don't even know. I like it, though. It's honoring. Let's do it. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's a very close question to brother, by the way. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity, or he had compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord, and we are grateful for it. Please be seated tonight. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is confronted by a lawyer who stood up to test Jesus, asking him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Luke wants us to know that the intent of this question is hostile. The lawyer wants to put Jesus to the test. He's not asking because he wants to know. He's asking because he wants to embarrass Jesus. It should be noted that he's a teacher of the law of God. That's what it means by lawyer. This isn't Ben Matlock trying a case, okay? It's a different kind of lawyer. This would be much more akin to a professor of theology or someone who teaches the law of God when you hear the word lawyer in this context. So, Jesus, as he often does, answers this question by asking another question. 
That's a good question. And we believe God is Jesus. So here's another question from God. What stands written in the law? How do you read it? That's a very important question. What's written in your Bible? How do you read it? Because how it reads is not always what it says. It takes some study into Scripture sometimes. Some language things and some commentaries sometimes are good. So here we have some theology going on between Jesus and this lawyer. What stands written in the law? How do you read it? Well, the lawyer, in essence, quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5. That's a good place to quote. You must love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole soul and with your whole strength. And the lawyer even adds something that even isn't even in Deuteronomy just to go the extra mile and with your whole mind. And then to be safe, he adds an exact quotation from Leviticus 19.18 and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he's going like the extra mile to get everything in that he needs to have for eternal life. And Jesus replies to the lawyer, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Notice Jesus doesn't say, do this and you'll have eternal life. He says, do this and you'll live. You'll really live if you live this way. Then something kind of ironic happens in the story. This lawyer, who is being combative to his neighbor, ignores what he has just said about loving his neighbor, who in this case is Jesus. And he further tests Jesus, asking, well, who's my neighbor? Well, Leviticus 19.18, if we're going to go by laws that he had, it makes the equivalent of a neighbor to be sons of your own people. So people from your own country, people from your own land. And then a few verses later in that same chapter, Leviticus 19.33-34, it's extended to the stranger and the alien, people who are not from your land that come in. You're supposed to give hospitality to them. This idea of love was rather restricted to people of your own race who were traveling through your own land at that time. For many devout Jews at this time, including this lawyer, I think, the division between love for your own Jewish people and hate for everybody else was absolute. Love your own people. The rest can go to hell because God hates them anyway. We're the chosen people. By golly, we're in, they're out, and they're out. And for Pharisees, the discussion about the limits of interaction between Jews and non-Jews was extensive. There was a long list of people that you could and could not socialize with and still be a faithful Jew. And this is what I believe Jesus, or the lawyer, wanted Jesus to say. Remember last night when I quoted Bill Cosby and I said, you know, the quote was, women don't want to hear what you think, they want to hear what they think in a deeper voice. I think that's where this lawyer was. He wanted to hear what he thought. I think he wanted to hear Jesus say, uh, who's in and who's out, like I just said? Who's going to heaven? Who isn't? Who's chosen? Who's not chosen? This is a question humans seem to be obsessed with. God, however, doesn't seem to be quite as obsessed with it as we are. Jesus responds with a parable as he so often does to this question. A certain man, who we are supposed to understand as a Judean, a Jewish person, 
was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Literally, he was traveling down because Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet, or yeah, 2,500 feet, I think, above sea level, and Jericho is about 700 feet below it. Uh, so there was literally, he was going down uh, to Jericho. Did anybody remember what Jericho is famous for, by the way? Yeah, a couple of you. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It wasn't really much of a fight. The walls came tumbling down, you know, that story. So a certain Judean man literally was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among bandits. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him half dead. So here's this bloodied man laying on the side of the road. And completely by chance, a certain priest was traveling down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite came to the spot. And he saw him and he passed by on the other side. They both saw him. This is very important. They both saw him in need. And they did nothing about it. It's clearly stated in the text that they don't really have an excuse. I mean, they see the man lying there. But there's a couple things I think I should point out about these people. The priest and the Levite. They, they weren't among the, uh, the wealthy upper classes of the day. But they did symbolically represent the leadership of the people. They, like the Pharisees, would have been restricted by purity regulations, which would have limited their contact with others, especially with dead people. This person whom the Bible describes as half-dead, laying there in the ditch or wherever he was laying, could have been all dead for all they knew. And after all, the law stipulated that anyone who touched a dead body would be ritually unclean for seven days. If the man was dead and the priest touched him, he wouldn't be able to perform any of his temple duties. He would miss a whole week's worth of services and meetings. And the Levites were aides to the priest. And what would the priest be without his right-hand man? So better safe than sorry, this guy might be dead and I'll be out of work for seven days. Better keep going. Somebody else will help him. <clears throat> People needed the priest after all. They need people to come and preach to them. They need people to offer sacrifices. So maybe we shouldn't be too hard on them. They were just wanting to do the work of God by leaving the man there in the ditch. Well, the point of this story is not so much a contrast between Jews and Samaritan, Samaritan people as it is a contrast between those who were recognized as a part of the people, as a part of the crowd, and those who were not. When it came down to it, the priest and the Levite, I don't think they wanted to sacrifice their positions as part of the in-religious crowd. I can't just associate with anybody. People in the church are going to start talking. Funny how Jesus never felt that way. And now enters into the story a certain Samaritan traveling down the road. When he came upon this man, it says he had compassion Literally, compassion means to suffer with. This person began to suffer with the man who was suffering. Now, it should be noted, there was a rivalry between Judeans and Samaritans. The force of this identification, it's all the more powerful because just a few verses before, in chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, Jesus himself 
had experienced the hostility of the Samaritans who wouldn't allow him a place to stay. They treated Jesus very badly. It's a picture of grace that Jesus is putting the Samaritan in this story in a positive light. Because just a few verses before, they just treated Jesus really badly. So the Samaritan approached this Judean man rather than to pass on the other side of the road. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. Not cheap stuff. That's costly stuff. It cost the man. He put the man on his own beast, this bloody, wounded, injured person. That's like putting him in your own car, you know? You don't put a bloody person in your nice new car. But this man did. He put him on his own animal. And the next day, after he took him to the inn, he pulled out two silver pieces and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. When I return, I'll repay you anything else that you have to spend over and above this. He went out of his way to show hospitality. So then Jesus, in telling this parable, asked the big question to this hostile lawyer who wants to shame Jesus. Which of these three do you think turned out to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the bandits? You see, Jesus reverses the question from one of legal obligation of who deserves my love to one of gift giving. Who needs my love? And the hostile lawyer answered Jesus, well, the one who treated him with mercy. And Jesus said, well, you go and do the same. I love how Jesus doesn't respond with sarcasm like I might have. <laughs> he just, you know, in this story, I almost feel like this hostile lawyer, Jesus almost is taking another hostile person, making them the hero of the story, almost like he's saying to the lawyer, it's somebody like you that I'm going to make the hero in this story. I know you're treating me bad, but I don't think you understand why you're treating me bad right now. So I'm going to ask you some questions in return. Brothers like Cain and Abel that I spoke about with the teens this morning and neighbors seem to be almost the same thing in Scripture. How you treat your brother, how you treat your neighbor, they're very similar the way you're supposed to do that. And this morning with the teens, we heard God ask Cain, what have you done in reference to Cain killing his brother? Why are you angry? Why are you disappointed? Tonight, I think we hear God in Christ asking us the same questions. And he's asking us through Jesus, who was the neighbor in the story? Or to put it another way, who is your brother or your sister? What's the answer according to Jesus? Well, Samaritans were enemies to the Judeans, to the Jews. Jesus' answer is, your enemy is your neighbor. Your enemy is your brother. Your enemy is someone whose story you have not heard yet. Samaritans were the enemy. Jesus could have made the Samaritan the bad guy of the story, and I wouldn't have blamed him. After all, they just kicked him out of their town, wouldn't even give him a place to sleep the night before. Instead, he makes them the hero of the story. Talk about practicing what you preach. Listen to me well now. The lawyer's question was wrong for two reasons. The focus was all about him. What do I got to do to get eternal life? And it was hostile. 
He didn't really care about the answer. He just cared about shaming Jesus. And the lawyer does two things that I think we are often bad about doing in evangelical Christianity. We make salvation all about us, even though salvation belongs to God. We demonize other people, even convincing ourselves that it's okay to despise them, to insult them, even kill them, because Jesus says when you hate someone, it's the same as murdering them. According to Jesus, and this is a hard teaching, brothers and sisters, it's one that Jesus is preaching to me and beating me over the head with again and again, and I wish I could get away with it, but I can't. According to Jesus, Christians do not have the right to have enemies. Christians do not have the right to have enemies. We don't get to live like Cain, hating those slash killing those whom we perceive to be the enemy. We don't get to cross on the other side of the road when we see the enemy in need. Jesus tells us we are to love our brothers and our neighbors and our enemies all the same. Just as we love God because we are a reflection of the God who loves us all the same. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the word made flesh. And everything he did was to show us the kingdom of God here on earth. So who do we see as the enemy? Christians? Muslims? Gays? Democrats? Republicans? North Korea? Russia? The liberal media? Fox News? Illegal immigrants? The Russians? Guess what? They're not the enemy. We love them. We love them with a Christ-like love. When they're injured, we do everything we can to help them, even if they hate us. In fact, and this is a really hard thing, if you have enemies, Jesus' call is to repent. I'm not trying to throw stones tonight. Trust me, I'm not trying to throw stones. I'm repenting myself. I have been hurt. I have had enemies in my life. Believe me. Christ calls us to see our enemies as potential brothers and sisters. As potential believers. That is the call. He calls us to use a holy imagination with our enemies to invite them to the table. To join the feast. Who are we attacking with our faith? Who are we attacking with our lives? Who do we not stand up for because it may cost us our place in the community? It was a beautiful thing today. I just read another story of Pope Francis. I love that guy, by the way. Who gathered with 300 evangelical leaders and asked forgiveness. Please forgive us for the division that we have had between Catholicism, Protestantism, and humbled himself. What a beautiful Christ-like thing to do. The priests and the Levites didn't want to sacrifice their positions by helping a battered and beaten person. What would people think? 
This could slow down my ministry if I stop to help them. One of my good friends, uh, Jim Chapman, uh, who's, who's an evangelist, um, he tells a wonderful story of somebody that came up to him one time and said, Hey, I want to tell you about the, children's ministry, or the, the ministry at our church. We can't, have, we can't have any children in our church because of this ministry. And he said, What? <laughs> he said, Oh, it's a great ministry we have going on, but we can't have any children there. And so Jim said, okay, I'm intrigued. Tell me why you can't have children at your church. Well, we run a, a ministry to sexual offenders. People who can't be within a certain distance of children. And so because of that, they, we can't have a children's ministry in our church. But I've got to tell you, we've got 30, 40 guys that come every week to this place. And they are meeting Jesus. And they're being transformed and they're being changed because nobody else wanted them. and wanted anything to do with them. And I heard that story from my friend and I just thought, oh, what a Jesus thing to do. The people who nobody else wants. The people who we have every right to be angry at. Jesus says, I welcome you to the table because you have lost your humanity. And forgiveness means restoring that beautiful glory and humanity that God put into you from the beginning. To be restored, to be renewed, come eat with me. Come and eat with me a while. I'm going to show you how we do this thing. You are battered, you are wounded, you've done some awful things. Come to the table with me. Let me show you some proper table manners. And then when I dismiss you, I want you to go out and do the same thing. Do as I have done for you. Go and do likewise, as he said to this lawyer. Jesus reveals that personal salvation is not complete until we can look to the needs of others. To invite them to the table. I want to ask you a few questions tonight just to help search our hearts, to search my heart. Think about a table. Because really that's what I'm going to be welcoming you to in just a few moments here. Think about your table in your home. Who would you not sit with and eat? Does someone come to mind? I absolutely would not eat with them. Because you don't ask people to the table that you're enemies with. Who is your enemy? Who are you angry with? Why are you angry? As God asked Cain. Why are you disappointed? Has your disappointment led you to jealousy over others? God asked Cain, what have you done? Where is your brother? Who is your brother? Who is your Savior? Who is their Savior? And the final question in your mind, who did Jesus not die for? In your mind, who did Jesus not die for? If you can give me a name, I'll just tell you right now, you're wrong. When my son was born, I was so excited, I put it on Facebook, another person who Christ died for has come into the world. He hasn't done a thing to deserve it. Nor have I. Who did Jesus not die for? 
It's the same table to which we are called. The call of Jesus is to repent tonight. And I know this is hard. Trust me. I've, I've been hurt. Okay? We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. It hurts. It's not okay. But forgiveness says it's not okay. But I love you anyway. And I'm giving you a chance to regain your humanity. Whether you accept it or not, I'm giving it to you. Because Jesus has done that for me. And we need to let Jesus restore some humanity, maybe in this place tonight. We need to let Jesus welcome us to his table tonight. So will you stand with me this evening? We're going to do a prayer of consecration, and then we're going to have a communion liturgy up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you tonight. The elements, we're, we're going to have them down here at the altars again. We welcome you, and you'll take the bread, which represents his body, and you'll dip it in the cup, which represents his blood, and you'll take it, and as you take it, it's your way of saying tonight, Jesus, I invite you in. Jesus, I'm going to let you be the final word in my life. I'm going to live like you. And I would even like to invite you as you receive to take some time at these altars tonight. Come and kneel and pray if you need others to pray with you. There's plenty of people around here that will be willing to do so. This is not easy stuff. You can probably all think of people who have wounded you. And it's not okay. All right? I'm not saying they get a pass. I'm saying give them grace. I'm saying give them Jesus because that's what Jesus does. 1 Corinthians 11 says on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this as a memorial of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial of me. Of me. So take this bread, all of you, and eat it. Jesus says, This is my body given for you. Take this, all of you, and well, I would say drink from it, but we're going to dip in tonight. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant shed for you and for all men for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And our communion liturgy, which we're going to be sharing together each night. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love Him and those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a very long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. Will you come to the table and receive tonight as Carlos sings for us? You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, 
You can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.